You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we sit down with Bob Hoffman, who is the author of four Amazon number one best-selling books on advertising. He is also one of the most sought-after international speakers on the topic of advertising and marketing. One of his books, Bad Men, How Advertising Went from a Minor Annoyance to a Major Menace, exposed many of the dangerous data abuse practices that are now making international headlines. Bob's commentary has appeared in the BBC World Service, The Wall Street Journal, MSNBC, Fox News, Sky News, Forbes, and much more. On today's show, you'll learn about how is social media marketing changing our lives? Are there any ethical issues that companies might be infringing on in their current ways of marketing? And what should people know about social media in 2020 and the coming elections? And much more on today's episode of Silicon Valley. You are listening to Silicon Valley by The Investor's Podcast, where your host, Sean Flynn, interviews famous entrepreneurs and business leaders in tech. Discover how money is made in Silicon Valley and where tech is going before it gets there. Bob, thank you for taking the time today to be on Silicon Valley. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, Bob, can you please tell us a little bit about your career and your background up to this point? Sure. I spent about a little over 40 years in the advertising business, in the agency business, and I retired six years ago. Since then, I have been writing and speaking about advertising. In my advertising career, I was CEO of two independent agencies and the U.S. operation of an international agency. But my basic skill is as a copywriter. I was a copywriter for several years, and through a series of comic mishaps, I became CEO of a couple of agencies. My background is uh, mainly with large advertisers, McDonald's and Toyota, AT&T, and Bank of America. Now, most of our audience has a tech or finance background. Can you give a little bit more information on what copywriting is to give us a base for moving forward? Copywriting is the words that you see in ads. Copywriter is someone who writes for commercial purposes. And there's lots of them in the world, and most of them aren't very good, and that's why most of advertising isn't very good. But uh, there are some good ones, and there's some good advertising, and good copywriters are generally creative, interesting people. And then copywriting, that would work with anyone that does words. So all the little ads for Google ads or signs for billboards, everything, that's the copywriter's work. It's all copy, yes. And how has this industry changed over the last 10 years? The advertising industry has had a rough go the last 10 years. We were expecting that this 10-year period would be one of the most fruitful and productive in the history of advertising. We had amazing new tools and amazing new media, and uh, we'd never had them before. And the whole thing was certain to lead to all kinds of new opportunities for advertising. Our ability to reach consumers one-to-one with web-based platforms and media couldn't help but make us more connected with consumers. Our, and brands' ability to listen to consumers through social media and react quickly also couldn't help but connect us more with our consumers. And consumers themselves would be some of our biggest assets by participating in conversations about our brands and helping us understand and define what the brands should represent. 
And yet the past decade has been one of the most disappointing and disheartening periods that I've experienced in my advertising career. It's widely believed both inside and outside the ad industry that advertising has gotten worse, not better. Consumer research that shows that regard for advertising and for the advertising industry is at a new low. Marketers are disillusioned. They don't trust the advertising industry. Their trade organization, the Association of National Advertisers in the U.S., has officially stated that they believe corruption in the advertising industry is, quote, pervasive. The work we're doing for brands has not been terribly successful. A recent study by Nielsen showed that consumers are 46% more likely to change brands than they were just five years ago, and that only 8% of consumers say they are strongly brand loyal. Regulators and governments are after us. They want to know what we're doing with data and whether we're acting illegally in collecting and trading and selling personal data and private information about consumers. As for consumers themselves, one study showed that of all forms of advertising, the eight types that are most disliked by them are all forms of online advertising. As a result, ad blocking apps are now reportedly present on somewhere between one and two billion devices. Uh, Meanwhile, tens of billions of dollars are being stolen annually from advertisers by online ad fraud. And our business is declining. Marketers are taking their advertising duties in-house or they're hiring consulting firms to do what we used to do. Plus, of course, we have the monopolistic effects of certain very, very large platforms, which would never be tolerated on dry land, but are tolerated online. And further, our industry has been right in the middle of dozens of scandals. So it has not been a good 10 years for the advertising industry, in my opinion. Let's break down a lot of what was just said right there. Yeah. So a couple of my questions right off the bat was, you'd mentioned 46% of people are switching brands. I think it was in five years. Is that have to do with the demographic shift of the millennials versus the boomers? Or is this just, there's no connection? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think that brands have forgotten what long-term brand building is about. And so consumer connections with brands has gotten less tight. And the actual quote was that 46% of consumers say they are more likely to switch brands than they were five years ago. And the whole, you know, one, not the whole purpose, but the most important purpose of advertising is to build a strong brand. And the indications that the brands are weakening, the brand's gravity is weakening, is an indication that advertising is not as effective as it used to be. Could a part of that be kind of the campaigns themselves? Whereas right now, a lot of these companies are just using Twitter, Instagram, and sending out a quick message. Or maybe in the past, there was more long-term thinking. Yes, that's exactly what's happened. What's happening is that the advertising industry has gotten very short-term in its horizon. There are really two 
lineages of advertising. The first lineage, if you look at the tree of advertising, the roots, there are two major roots. The first is the Madison Avenue style brand building kind of advertising, the kind of advertising that you see for Nike and McDonald's and Apple and all the large brands. And that kind of advertising has a certain flavor to it. And it's, and it's focused on building brand loyalty over time and building brand strength over time. The second lineage of advertising is the direct response, short-term kind of advertising. It used to be clip this coupon and send it in. Then it became dial this 800 number. And now it's click now. When web advertising started 20 or 25 years ago, we all expected it to be of the first lineage, the Madison Avenue style lineage, with the brand building style. But it turns out it hasn't been. It's been the direct response, click here, click now kind of advertising. And generally, that style of advertising is bad. It's not as creatively interesting as the Madison Avenue style of advertising. And it's short-term oriented. And it generally doesn't build bands. If you think of all the big brands in the world, like I said, the Nikes and the Apples and the Budweiser's and the McDonald's and the Cokes and the Pepsi's. They weren't built by click here now, dial this 800 number, clip this coupon style of advertising. They were built by more thoughtful brand building kinds of advertising. And right now for these ad campaigns, who are the ones coming up with them? Is it the copywriters, the marketers, or is it more the engineers? The engineers aren't so much coming up with the ads, but the, the attractiveness of advertising to creative people has diminished because of this style of advertising. You know, if you look at the world of creative writing and creative art direction, at the very top, if you're brilliantly creative, you become a fine artist or a novelist or a playwright. Second level, you become a commercial artist or, a, you know, you write for television and stuff like that. Third level used to be advertising, okay? Now, advertising has been demoted to the fourth level because writing and designing for the web has replaced the advertising industry, in my mind, in terms of attractiveness to creative people. Now, having said that, that's a huge generalization. And there are some brilliantly talented people working in advertising who are totally A's. And there are some hacks working, writing novels who are, you know, fourth level. But as a generalization, I think that's true. And consequently, we aren't getting the kind of talent in the advertising industry that we used to get on average. We still have some brilliantly creative people who do wonderful stuff, but there are less of them. I guess let's talk a little bit about these people. What type of background do marketers normally have? In my mind, they just go to marketing, get that as their major in college and graduate and go into the field. What was the training prior versus the training now? Okay, we have to first bifurcate. There's a difference between marketing and advertising. Advertising is just one aspect of marketing. Marketing entails a whole lot more than advertising. Marketing is pricing and distribution and new product development and 
all kinds of stuff, financial stuff and business stuff that the advertising industry really isn't that key in. The advertising industry is about the communications function within the whole marketing umbrella. So uh, marketing people generally, you know, they have MBAs, they go to school and, and get a degree in marketing. Advertising people come from all over. Advertising, you know, writers and art directors in advertising age, I'm talking about the creative people now, come from all over. You know, they may have been English majors in college or art majors in college. They may have gone to a design school. They may have taken advertising as a major in college. Or like me, they may just be jerks who walked in off the street and convinced someone that they could do the job. So when we talk about where do the advertising and marketing people come from, most of the marketing people have training in marketing, even within advertising agencies. There are marketing people who are classically trained in marketing. But the, the creative people can come from a lot of different realms. Some of them are trained in advertising, and some are just people who have been able to demonstrate creativity and gotten jobs in agencies. There was a mention of ad fraud. What is ad fraud? And going into that, do people know that's what they're doing? Well, ad fraud is not created by the people who make advertising. Ad fraud is created by crooks who are technologists. And ad fraud is stealing somewhere between 5 and $50 billion a year from marketers. And I'll get into that in a second. Ad fraud is, according to the World Federation of Advertising, by 2025, that is five years from now, ad fraud will be maybe the second largest source of criminal income in the world after drug trafficking. That's how big it is. Once again, I'm not a technology guy. I'm a copywriter, so I'm going to give you the idiot version of how ad fraud works, but I think you'll be able to understand it. Ad fraud works when, and this is the simplest type of ad fraud, uh, software impersonates websites and impersonates people. So people buying online advertising think they're buying advertising on a website, but the website doesn't exist. The website is software impersonating a website that looks like a website to other computers. And so, the, so computer A buys advertising from software B that looks like a website but isn't. It also does it by creating phony web traffic. So you go to what you think is a website that has a million viewers, but it turns out it's not really a website and they aren't really viewers. They're bots. They're software strings impersonating people and software strings impersonating websites. That's one form of ad fraud. Another form of ad fraud is stacking. So you, you go to a website and you see an ad. What you don't see are a thousand other ads stacked behind the ad that you see that someone's getting charged for running that you never see. What you also don't see is pixels that register as ads. A single pixel that can be registered as an ad that some marketer 
is paying for that thinks you're seeing an ad, but actually all that's happening is that a pixel is appearing on your web page. Now, like I said, there are dozens of other fraudulent tricks that are being played on marketers that are costing them billions of dollars a year, and it is apparently not that difficult to get into this game. The fraud is so widespread that it is apparently not a difficult thing to do. I have so many questions with that. <laughs> yeah. Because I would think that the marketers, the advertisers would know that these sites don't exist, but I could also see them just kind of spraying an ad to thousands and thousands of websites and not being able to actually track any of them. Are the people being taken advantage of? Is it mostly big corporations or is it everyone? It's everyone. So what we have in the advertising world these days is what's called programmatic advertising. And programmatic is just a fancy word for computerized advertising, buying and selling. What happened is, you know, when you bought television media time, television media time was fairly easy to buy. You know, you bought a spot on Seinfeld and you could see if it was on Seinfeld or not, right? And you could buy a page in the New York Times and you could see if it was in the New York Times. And you bought a page in uh, Sports Illustrated magazine and you could see if the ad was in Sports Illustrated magazine. Well, the web comes along and web technology comes along and everything gets screwed up because there are literally tens of millions of websites on which you can buy advertising. And it's impossible to keep track of where you're, whether that advertising is running. Even it's impossible to keep track of where it's running. In traditional media, you bought a publication. Once again, you buy a page in the New York Times on Sunday, and you go Sunday, and then you see the ad is there. It's not there. It's very easy. Online, what technology has done is you're no longer buying a publication. You're not for the most part, you're not buying a publication, you're buying a person. So what happens is, instead of knowing where your ad is running, the ad is following you and me around and feeding the ad to us at a location where we may go that the advertiser doesn't know. Let me give you an example of how this works. Let's use the New York Times again. Let's say they want to follow me they want to give Bob Hoffman an ad for golf balls. So they could buy the ad in the New York Times and show me an ad for golf balls on the New York Times website. But the online ad world is smarter. They say, instead of, look, instead of paying a dollar to show Bob Hoffman a golf ball ad on the New York Times website, we'll follow Bob Hoffman till he gets to bikinibabes.com and will show him that golf ball ad on bikinibabes.com. It's the same person, the same ad, and instead of paying a dollar to show it to him, you pay a nickel to show it to him because bikinibabes.com ain't like the New York Times and you can get it much cheaper there. And that's the value proposition of what is called programmatic advertising. Instead of showing me an ad at an expensive website, it follows me to a cheap website and shows me the same ad there, okay? 
except the only problem is bikinibeachbabes.com doesn't exist. It's phony. It's a software string that looks to the computer that's buying the ad like it's a website, and it looks like it has a million viewers, but it actually has none. All it has is bots pretending to be viewers. Bikinibeachbabes.com gets money for the ad that it's running, and I lose money because I wasted my money. I, the marketer, wasted my money thinking I was showing an ad to someone on a website that doesn't exist. So there's a whole lot of very complex and uh, hard-to-figure stuff going on in online advertising that is costing marketers billions of dollars a year. There's a guy named Dr. Roberto Cavazzo. I hope I have that right. He's a professor of marketing at the University of Baltimore. He has studied fraud in all kinds of categories for over 30 years. He recently participated in a study of ad fraud and said he's never seen anything like it. He says it's beyond anything he ever imagined. He estimated the amount of fraud in online advertising this year as approaching $30 billion. I would think that with all these engineers and these technical solutions that if they see a problem this big, they would be working on solutions for it. Fraudsters are always three steps ahead of the good guys. The good guys are always chasing the fraudsters around, trying to figure out how they're doing this and putting in blocking technology to stop them from doing it. And by the time the blocking technology is there, the fraudsters are onto something new. There are companies that specialize in uh, solutions to this, but frankly, in my opinion, they aren't very good, and they're always behind the curve. Remember, the, the fraudsters have tremendous incentive to do what they're doing, and the people who are blocking it aren't quite as incented to do it. That makes sense. You also had mentioned scandals. Now, is ad fraud scandals the exact same thing? Or are we talking a whole nother category? We're talking about all kinds of scandals. Scandals involving people being followed everywhere they go in the world. Scandals involving influencers who don't really have the followers that they claim to have. Scandals involving social media, where big time social media People are buying followers online. I mean, if you want to get a sense of what kind of scandals is, just Google buy Facebook followers. Google buy Twitter followers. Google buy Instagram followers. And you will see that all these people who, not all of them, many of the people who marketers are paying money to as influencers aren't influencing nearly as many people as the marketers think they are. You know, you can buy 10,000 followers on Twitter for like $50 or something. It's a joke. So do you think there'll be a lot of lawsuits that will result from this in the future when these influencers are found out? Sure there will. There already are. I mean, as so many of the marketing and advertising metrics online are phony 
that there are already lawsuits. As a matter of fact, Facebook just a couple of weeks ago settled a lawsuit for $40 million from some people who claimed that Facebook had inflated its metrics on video viewing by up to 900%. Facebook is famous for in the marketing world. Facebook is famous for having unreliable metrics. Is that true with a lot of the other big corporations out there that their matrix that are being advertised may not be what's actually happening? Yes. You know, uh, the online advertising industry was supposed to be far superior because we would know exactly what the metrics, we could measure everything. Well, it turns out all the metrics are phony or unreliable. Nobody agrees on metrics about anything. Like I said, when it comes to ad fraud, the range runs from $5 billion a year to $50 billion a year. That's a range of what, like 1,000% or something? I mean, that's ridiculous. But that's the way it is. And, you know, how you measure things and what you're actually measuring is so fraught with questions and unreliable methodologies. It's very, very difficult for marketers to really know what the numbers are. And I have to ask about data because should we be concerned that our data is being collected? We should definitely be concerned that our data is being collected. I mean, I wrote a book about this called Bad Men, how advertising went from a minor annoyance to a major menace. And the point of the book is that the advertising industry used to be an industry that imparted information to us. It is now equally an industry that collects information about us. And they collect it without our knowledge, and they collect it without our consent. In my opinion, it's scandalous and dangerous, and it needs to be reined in. Now, in Europe, they have something called the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which uh, the EU put into effect last year. And to some degree, it protects the information, the personal private information about consumers from the marketing industry. But it's very complicated and it hasn't really yet been terribly effective, in my opinion. Now, here in California on January 1st, a, a new regulation called the California, I, I, I can't remember the full name of it, is going into effect. And it generally has the same points that the GDPR in Europe has. And we'll see how that affects the online advertising industry in the US. But the big picture is this. The big picture is we know what it's like when governments have too much information about people. We saw what it was like when the KGB knew everything about every citizen in the Soviet Union, where they went, what they read, who they talked to, what was in their mail. They tapped their telephone conversations. They had, they had secret files about everyone. We know what that's like when government does it, but we don't know what it's like when marketers have that kind of information. When marketers know everyone we're talking to, everywhere we're going, the content of our emails, the content of our text messages, where our location is every minute of the day, and what files, what secret files they may have, 
on us. We don't know where that leads. It's unprecedented. But I have a feeling it doesn't lead anyplace good, you know? And the fact that the marketing industry has had the ability to do this without our consent, without our knowledge, is very dangerous to us as individuals, I believe, and also very dangerous to democratic societies. We have this principle of privacy where people should have a right to live a private life without everyone following them around and knowing what they're doing. It's part of the fabric of democracy, and it's being challenged now, and I think it's something we have to be very, very concerned about. Do you think that maybe with people being more and more cautious about going online or their data, will that bring about a reinvigoration, I guess, of television, radio, or print ads? I don't know. You know, television is starting to track people also. The streamers, the streaming television also has similar kinds of tracking abilities that online advertising has. I don't think we're going to go backward. No, I think, you know, in my opinion, mass market advertising is much more effective than individual one-to-one so-called personalized advertising is. But I don't think anyone else, I don't think there are very many people in the marketing industry who believe that anymore. I think I'm out on a limb on that. But uh, I do believe that mass market advertising, television, radio, outdoor print, are much more effective brand building media than thus far online media have been. If you think about it, go to the largest supermarket in your neighborhood, go to Walmart, go to Target, walk through and make a list of all the brands that were built with online advertising. And you have a list of zero, pretty much. There's no soft drinks, there's no beer, there's no potato chips, there's no paper towels, there's no toothpaste, there's no soap in your local supermarket that were built by online advertising. They were all built by TV and radio and outdoor and the mass media. And there's a reason for that. I think, like I say, I'm out on a limb on this, but I think traditional TV, radio, mass market is public advertising. Online advertising is generally private advertising. It's highly personalized. It's one-to-one kind of advertising. I don't know what advertising you're seeing. You don't know what advertising I'm seeing online. We all live in our own little digi world online. We don't know if anyone else is seeing it. And Uh, We may all deny it, but we all want to be part of the social fabric. Nobody wants to wear their father's suit to the high school dance, right? We all want to be socially acceptable. And brand messages are part of the social context, a part of the culture. If I watch a football game, I know that it's acceptable to drink Budweiser beer and have an iPhone and drive a Ford truck because everyone else knows it. I know that everyone else knows it. Online, if I see, you know, uh, an ad for these headphones on something.com, I don't know if anyone else is seeing it. I don't know if my friends are going to think I'm an idiot. Why'd you buy those headphones? Those are stupid. And, you know, we all deny it. Nonetheless, we all feel it, the social pressure to be culturally acceptable. And advertising, and particularly mass market advertising, does that. You're driving down the road, a country road, and 
you're in the middle of nowhere and you're hungry and you're in Nowheresville, USA, and uh, you come to an intersection. On the left, there's a McDonald's, and on the right, there's a Bubba's Burger. And you're hungry and you feel like a burger. Well, the odds are that Bubba's Burger is going to be 10 times better than the McDonald's Burger. But the odds are 10 times higher that you're going to go to McDonald's. Why? That's what advertising does. It makes things more acceptable, more trustworthy, even when they are not necessarily logical. And uh, that's what mass market advertising does. That's what TV and radio and outdoor and print do that I think online advertising has not yet been able to do. Now, maybe it will. I don't know. I hope it will. There's no reason why online advertising shouldn't be as effective as any other medium in terms of building brands. But thus far, I don't think it has been. That does remind me of a, a little story not too long ago. There was a, a buddy of mine asking me about an ad on YouTube saying, God, this one ad runs all day long. I only see this one ad. And I told him, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this guy, artificial intelligence, you know, programmer, and he's like, no, no, that ad, I've seen it every day with me going, I've never seen it. And we actually got a little argument over it because he, he couldn't fathom not everyone's seeing this ad, even though he's a programmer, he showed this. That's what I was talking about before. Online, you're not buying YouTube necessarily. You're buying that programmer guy. You're buying a person. You're not buying a medium or a publication. So we're all, all in our own little digi world, seeing our own little advertising content. And uh, it's different from mass media. And that's why you didn't know. This is something that's been following him around forever that you've never even seen. It doesn't work that way. Billboard, everyone sees a billboard. Every, you know, not, not everyone sees a TV commercial, but a lot of people see a TV commercial. And that makes a big difference, I think, in its cultural impact. Do you have an opinion on the rise of social media influencers and if they'll be around or as impactful in the future? Social media influencers is just another term for something that advertising has had forever, and that is testimonials by big shots and celebrities. We've all, you know, John Wayne in the 1950s smoked camel cigarettes or something, you know, he was on Billboard. A social media influencer is just a new name for something old. And uh, yeah, they'll always be around. They are sometimes effective, but not always. And uh, the problem with it is there's so much corruption in it. Now, there are so many phony followers. There was a study done by a group a long time ago that found that the highest degree of phony followers was Ellen DeGeneres, who had 58% of her followers were phonies, were bots. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that Ellen did that, but there's an incredible amount of phony baloney in influencers and in social media followers of all kinds. With all this, where are the big companies spending their money on advertising then? Big companies are spending their money primarily online. Online advertising is now the largest form of advertising, followed by television. The rise of the online advertising has eaten into all other forms of advertising. It's particularly harmful to print advertising, newspapers, which is really a shame because 
print advertising is part of the structure of democracies that it's very important to protect, I think. And they've taken the biggest hit from the rise of online advertising. And to some degree, it's their own fault. They gave their product away for nothing. They allowed the online, you know, they allowed Google and Facebook to connect with their product for nothing. They didn't protect what they had created. And the result is that they're suffering substantially from it. I've heard you talk about three advertising delusions, brand, digital, age delusion. Can you go a little bit more into detail on that? Yeah, the brand delusion, it was really the social media delusion. And we thought that, you know, if you go back 10 or 15 years and you read the literature of our industry, social media was going to replace advertising. People would go online and they would enthuse about products and brands and this, they would tell their friends about it and this would be viral and you wouldn't have to advertise anymore. You would go on Facebook, you'd put up a Facebook page for nothing and you would post things and people would read it and share it with their friends and this is all fantasy land. It never happened. If you go to Facebook now, you go to Twitter now and you try to find conversations about brand. Remember, join the conversation. There are no conversations about brands. Go online and look. Go to Facebook. Go to Twitter. See if you find conversations about brands. There aren't any. Baloney. Facebook became the biggest bait and switch in history. Instead of putting up a free Facebook page, which people would follow, Facebook is now the largest repository of what it was supposed to replace, which is traditional paid advertising. The only brand messages you're seeing on Facebook is traditional paid advertising, which Facebook was supposed to replace. So that was a delusion. But the whole social media delusion thing, we have to be very careful about our definitions. There's a difference between social media and social media marketing. Social media is, without question, a worldwide phenomenon. There's no question about that. But social media marketing was supposed to be essentially free marketing. That's why it was called social media. It was people talking about brands and spreading information about brands socially. It never happened. And that's why all social media marketing now is not really social media marketing. It's paid traditional advertising on social media platforms. How do you think advertisers are going to separate their, their campaigns in the future with the baby boomers and then the millennials? I think the whole generational division of consumers is mainly nonsense. I think there's just as much diversity of opinions and behaviors within generations as there is between generations. But, you know, the research industry has to have something to sell. So every 20 years, they come up with a new generation that's completely different from the previous generation. And it turns out they're not completely different. They're just a different age and a different stage of life. And when they get to the stage of life that you or I may be at, their behaviors are going to be quite similar to what our behaviors are now. They're confusing the, the beliefs of people with their ages. It's actually the age drives the behavior 
not some kind of huge cultural difference between baby boomers and Gen Xers. And uh, I promise you, when millennials become the age of baby boomers, their behavior is going to be very similar to what the behavior of baby boomers is now. One of the problems with all this generational nonsense is that marketers became obsessed with millennials. You know, all they wanted to do was reach millennials. And everything, every marketing conference was all about millennials and every marketing meeting, how are we going to talk to millennials? And meanwhile, the people with all the money are over 50. They're not millennials. People over 50 have 70% of the wealth in the United States. People over 50 do over half the consumer spending in the U.S. People over 50 buy 57% of the cars in the U.S. People over 50, if they were their own country, if they were their own country, Americans over 50 would be the third largest economy in the world, bigger than the entire economy of Germany, Japan, or India. And yet, people over 50 are pretty much ignored by the marketing industry. They are the target for between 5 and 10% of marketing activity, even though they control 70% of the wealth and buy over half of all the stuff. That makes no sense. No sense at all. It's absolutely insane. It's completely insane. It makes no sense. But when you look at the makeup of the advertising and marketing industry, you understand why. In the U.S., 40, I think it's 47% of the adult population is over 50. In the advertising industry, 6% of the employees are over 50. So what it is is marketing by selfie stick. They market to themselves. It's narcissism disguised as strategy. But the advertising and marketing industries are obsessed with 18 to 34-year-olds, even though I think 18 to 34-year-olds buy like 12% of all cars. And yet, if you look at automobile advertising, 18 to 34-year-olds are in every, pretty much every car ad. Now, the older demographics that are being ignored, is this also true for a global aspect for these huge brands? Now, there are some brands who should target young people. If I was Taco Bell, I don't, you know, no one over 34 is going to eat that. You have to know who, who the reasonable target for your product is. But the obsession with young people just is, it makes no sense. If you could change anything about the advertising industry, what would it be? I'd have a higher salary. That would be... <laughs> No. Tracking. Tracking is the most dangerous thing the advertising industry does. The advertising industry has to stop tracking. It has to be, we're too irresponsible to police ourselves. We've proven that. We've proven that we're too irresponsible to police ourselves. We need interference from people who are responsible and know how to do it. And the technology industry is very important in this. The advertising industry never really was technologically sophisticated. And all of a sudden, technology came our way, and we were able to do things that we could never do before. And if we had set out to use technology in an irresponsible, dangerous way, 
we could not have done much better than we've done accidentally using technology in dangerous and irresponsible ways. Bob, thank you for taking the time today to be on Silicon Valley. I also want to thank Nizel Law for allowing us to record in their facility today. Also, Andreas Ramos, who made the introduction to Bob, which allowed this interview to happen today. So, Bob, once again, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Sean. It's a great pleasure. And Bob, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, learn more about you, what website, email, or way to get a hold of you would you recommend? I have a blog called The Ad Contrarian and a newsletter called The Ad Contrarian Newsletter. And I have a website, a company website, typeagroup.com. We'll have all those links in the show notes, so please visit us on the Investors Podcast website and click on Silicon Valley, and you'll see that in the show notes along with this amazing episode of Silicon Valley. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.